Hello guys and welcome to another episode of Radcast and indeed our first episode of 2021. We're going to be kicking off the year by getting stuck into some exciting new technology in the world of MRI with Spintech, a company who specialise in advanced MR neuroimaging. So yeah, we're delighted to be joined by Ward Detweiler um, for this episode, who is the president and CEO of Spintech and who's been tasked with spreading the word about all the amazing work they're doing to the world. So thanks for joining us, Ward. <laughs> yeah, thanks a lot for having me, guys. So would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. I'm uh, Ward Detweiler, I'm president and CEO of Spintech. We are a medical imaging software company uh, based in Detroit, Michigan in the U.S., um, really focused entirely in the field of MRI and um, focused in brain imaging uh, is sort of our first application and where we've done the majority of our work. Okay, yeah. So before we get into Spintech, just looking at your own background. So you, you did an MBA at the University of Michigan and um, a bachelor's in economics and then have somehow found your niche in health, in healthcare tech. <laughs> yeah. how, how did that happen? Yeah. Um, well, I've, I've always been in uh, the world of startups. Um, before going back to do my MBA, I actually helped uh, launch and grow two previous technology startup companies. Um, and after uh, completing my MBA, I uh, ended up uh, helping to start the innovation group for a major health system here in Detroit, uh, really focused in, on digital health uh, innovation. And while you know, we'd done some, some projects in the past working with uh, healthcare and pharmaceutical clients, that was really my first, you know, deep dive into uh, healthcare. And uh, it just seemed like an area just very ripe for innovation, um, a lot of really pressing and challenging problems. Um, but sort of with a, a culture that was very slow to adopt new solutions, um, you know, all the while with, you know, amazing technologies being developed all around it without really good paths, of, you know, to, to bring them forward and bring them to the world. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of where I, uh, kind of, you know, saw the opportunity and, and really kind of became passionate for the space, um, seeing, you know, so many things sort of die in the lab, so many great, uh, you know, potentially, uh, you know, life-changing technologies for people uh, that just need a path forward. Which, um, which organizations have you worked with in the past? Most recently before this, we had a company uh, called uh, First Sight Group, which was um, really focused, uh, well, initially on uh, using kind of uh, linguistic analytics to try to create a, a hedge fund, actually a trading model, trading on yeah. kind of various market data. Uh, January 2008 was a very bad time to try to start such a venture uh, <laughs> with the financial crisis. And we ended up yeah. really turning into more of a uh, risk identification and trend prediction company. Um, and the company now it's actually kind of merged and operating in, in Switzerland. And uh, before that, it was with a, a digital uh, health technology platform called uh, Rise Interactive that was in Chicago. So, so you sort of jump around from from various projects, which is sort of the way in in the startup world, isn't it? Um, now yeah. you're in in MRI. So, um, how much of the sort of technical MRI stuff do you actually understand? <laughs> well, I think most radiologists, every being honest, it's basically T one, T two, and, and that's about it. Yeah, it's. Um... I'll, I'll tell you when I first got involved, it was, uh, I knew that uh, an MRI basically took pictures of the brain. Um, <laughs> and, um, and I was very lucky. That was actually, um, I got almost uh, four years ago now that I, I got involved with, with our uh, founder and chief science officer, uh, Dr. Mark Hakey and his team who, uh, Dr. Hakey is just a, a real uh, pioneer and kind of one of the top innovators in the entire field of MRI and surrounded with an amazing research team. And um, I think I, you know, got, I don't know how quickly I got up to speed, but, you know, over time, mm. I, uh, you know, every so often I'm able to drop some technical words and my team sort of, you know, cranes their neck around like, oh, my God, you actually <laughs> you knew what you were talking about. So, um, yeah, 
I was doing some research on Mark Hakey, and I can imagine if you're having a conversation with him about MRI, it can be quite intimidating. You'll be able to smell if you don't know what you're talking about very, yeah. very quickly. And it's it's amazing. Well, like as you say, even a lot of radiologists kind of don't have yeah. uh, the very kind of specific and practical views of maybe the the technology and working with somebody like Dr. Hakey is. Uh, you realize the breadth and the power that's possible in the field of MRI and, and kind of how many different applications the technology can have. Um, so it yeah. is uh, certainly enlightening working with somebody like that and working with the great team that we have. Yeah, that is the thing with MRI. All of the tech is just getting so advanced and beyond almost the realms of medicine into sort of science fiction. So uh, as radiologists, it's very difficult to be involved in research in MRI because yeah we're, we're not physicists I imagine a lot of the um the team at Spintech is it medical physicists mainly um, that make up the team yeah we've a lot of uh, physicists um you know engineers biomedical engineers software developers okay. but, but we're really a very physics uh focused company um and, and something that I think differentiates us from some other groups that are out there as well in terms of it, it really kind of helps drive our approach uh, yeah is there any role for radiologists at all, sort of in the development phase? Oh, yeah, abs absolutely. Um, it was sort of like kind of one of the earliest challenges is, you know, we grew out of a really long established uh, research and development company that was started by Dr. Hakey. Uh, mm -hmm. And, you know, as you're saying, you know, that, that the technology side is so focused on the physics and the science, a lot of times it can be removed from um, the application of it and from the clinical utility of it. And yeah. something we've really worked on is, is really engaging radiologists out, you know, outside of our group, you know, formally, but then also just we have an amazing network of researchers and, and we really yeah. use them to kind of uh, provide a lot of feedback into the design and application and usability of the product. And, you know, and there's also a big difference between, you know, people who are very heavily, you know, research focused in radiology versus clinical practice. You just, you operate differently, different time yeah. constraints. Yeah, yeah. So what products do you have available at the moment? So right now we're actually, we're just going through the US FDA process with our kind of, I'd say it's really the core of our platform, which is um, something called Stage, which is uh, strategically acquired Gradient Echo. A kind of predicate that we developed that was actually sort of a software version of, F, of uh, SWI, which is already FDA cleared. Mm -hmm. But Stage is really kind of the, the thrust of our kind of commercial focus and what we're bringing out into the clinical market. Um, but what Stage provides is really rapid quantitative multi-contrast brain imaging that enables you to collect a kind of rich amount of data. Really, you know, really what we're trying to do is really reduce the time it takes to do comprehensive brain MRI, shaving about 40% of the time off while providing you uh, with really enhanced uh, and quantitative information on the other side. So, you know, not just improved contrast, but also quantitative information that you can use to, you know, better analyze kind of changes in tissue properties or look for changes in, in small markers, yeah. uh, track disease progression. And then from that, we've developed a suite of AI tools, which are, um, some are kind of already in clinical testing, some are still sort of in, in research phase that really take that data and, and um, interpret it and analyze it to provide, you know, better, faster results, being able to identify things automatically and really kind of be an aid to the radiologist and being able to you know, get to a decision much more quickly and, and hopefully with much higher confidence as well. So yeah, um, from reading about SpinTech, it does seem like you're trying to take MRI to that next level by combining sort of precision imaging with MRI. And you do talk about quantitative imaging. Um, so yeah. what do you mean by that? Well, we really look at that, I, I think, through two different lenses. I mean, the, actually, the, the contrast that we produce, uh, some of them are you know, quantitative in nature on their own, such as 
something like a you know quantitative susceptibility mapping or um, like our T1 mapping and things like that, where actually you can extract quantitative information from the outputs. But you know, from there, we also have a quantitative reporting tool. So for example, our, our first uh, AI or machine learning tool that we're bringing out is for automatic detection of cerebral microbleeds. Mm-hmm. Um, now, this is something that you, know, you may be able to pick up you know, through something like your normal SWI scan and find that little dot on the brain and you know, maybe it's a bleed, maybe it's not. Yeah. Um, you know, that can be difficult to interpret and, and prone to error. And what the AI allows us to do is really to analyze that more quickly, determine is that a bleed versus a calcification versus maybe just a some sort of, sort of artifact or a vein traveling vertically, and then be able to quickly you know count how many bleeds are there, how big, where are they located, mm-hmm. both at sort of a, a gross level, but then also uh, you know within kind of subregions of the brain, and then delivering all of that into a quantitative report similar to like any of the kind of volumetric or segmentation tools you might look at, where you're providing sort of a, a report of that quantitative information that the radiologist can use to um, make a better determination of what might be going on with that patient. Okay. Um, and, and it's been actually uh, pretty interesting now seeing that run where we've been developing this for several years in the, in the research realm and now taking it out and testing it on clinical data. You, you know, even some of the uh, top experts in something like TBI that we might be working with, you know, we run it on their reports and we're finding out oftentimes they may not, may not have been right. Is that like traumatic brain <laughs> um, injury, TBI? Yeah, sorry, traumatic brain injury, yeah. So just, you know, one of the applications of that. We also are, are doing a lot of dementia work with that, um, stroke, you know, very important. Um, and then more and more in, uh, in kind of tumors, um, especially in the presence of bleeds after radiation therapy or um, chemotherapy. So why is it that you've decided to focus on neuroimaging in particular? Um, well, I mean, that's really where uh, God, 30 plus years of research and development has been uh, with uh, Dr. Hickey and his group. Um, now, you know, one, from a commercial mm-hmm. perspective, brain imaging is probably about a, a third of all uh, MR. Um, so if you're just to pick one that's uh, in MRI, that's a pretty good place yeah. to start. Um, but really, it's where kind of we've had the most expertise from you know, both the development side, but also in the kind of research and publication side of yeah. things. Uh, that's you know, the one thing that we're lucky with as a team is we've published got probably over 300 papers as a group of, you know, 100 plus related to these technologies and applications in the brain. So um, it's where a lot of the expertise is. But, you know, the other thing working, you know, growing out of this group is that if there's sort of a use of MRI, uh, they've done it. So we've, you know, looking at applications in the spine, uh, in joints and, you know, liver, uh, breast, uh, lower limb, we've done work in. So, you know, we see other applications on the horizon for this technology, but it's uh, being a you know startup company, we have to sort of uh, stick to our knitting somewhat and uh, stay focused because there's a lot of places you can go. I think the brain probably does have maybe the highest potential for advanced imaging, and I think a lot of the modalities we use at the moment are basically quite blunt tools. Like you're not really going to be able to tell much about the inner workings of the brain from a standard CT head. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think in terms of disease processes as well, dementia is obviously. Very there's a lot high. of research that's gone into it, but yeah. there's no there's no cure, as it were. So, yeah, um, still... and it's something that affects a lot of people. So there's probably a lot of interest in finding solutions. Yeah, I mean that's there's another you know great application. Yeah, I mean be, beyond just the clinical application, I'm looking at using advanced imaging for development of new therapeutics and being able to you know monitor the impact that the therapeutic may have, um, you know, on a specific marker you might be looking at. You know, it can be an incredibly helpful tool. Mm-hmm. And then just, you know, as we look at the rise of, of AI in general and kind of what we're going to be able to do, 
with these tools. And I, I know everybody talks about it like we're just waving some magic wand around and <laughs> you know, some, some magic answers are going to come out on the other side. Um, there's quite a lot into the development, as you guys yeah. know. Um, but that's what really one of the, you know, if we look at kind of the future state uh, of where we're going, and Dr. Aki talks about this all the time, is can you create a single kind of, you know, master protocol that, you know, you can run very rapidly that collects an immense amount of data, um, really, truly comprehensive data, and then use these AI tools to extract the information that you're looking for, you know, afterwards. Um, so you're never having to choose, you know, what are you going to run? Just what are you going to look at? Yeah. Uh, because all the information you could want is going to be there. And, you know, we're, we're not quite there yet, but, um, you know, we certainly see the pathway to get there. It's, it's kind of getting into the, uh, the realm of radiomics and the idea that um, when, we, when we look at an image, that's just the way a data set has been arranged so that it's, it's in a fashion that we're it, able to yeah. interpret for a clinical question. But actually, there's so much more that you can do with that data aside from just projecting it as an image. Yeah, you know, coming at, from, <laughs> at this from a non-technical uh, background in, in, the, in the layman's terms, you know, <laughs> so, you know, so I understand it for myself as I always think of it. It's almost like MRI is like you have you know, HD cable hooked up to an oil painting. You have an incredible stream of information behind it and you're just sort of getting a, a static image on the other side. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's so much power that you can do, you know, so many things you can do with that data um, yeah. to advance care. You're very keen on the idea of standardization within MR imaging. Um, what do you actually mean by this and, and why do you find it? so important? So that's one of the things, there's there's a couple of reasons that we're really interested in this. And what we mean by that is that, you know, no matter where you're running the sequence, no matter the machine uh, that you're running on, that your contrasts are going to be consistent and that your quantitative values are going to be consistent uh, on every single scan. Um, You know, right now, if you're looking and you're trying to apply for a big multi-site grant or something like that, a point of criticism or pushback you might get as well, you know, you really can't be doing this across machines and across sites. How are you going to be able to you know, know that the data is reliable? Because uh, there's a lot of inherent variance uh, mm-hmm. in MR data. Uh, and that's a limiting factor for, you know, longitudinal assessment of disease between you know, site to site. So, you know, even if you have like 13, you know, MR scanners in your network, you can't just use them, you know, run the same patient on any one of those sites if you're looking to do a comparative study. Um, you know, now with standardization, you, you can so you can get better efficiency, you know, clinical efficiency, just from scheduling and you know, using your kind of uh, equipment more uh, efficiently. Mm-hmm. The other you know, big application of it is, is really in the scalability of AI. You know, there's, you know, if you go to like RSNA or something, there's now, you know, I remember three years ago, it was like five booths of AI. And then they had like a little section. And then, you know, last year it was just, you know, you know three football fields of AI <laughs> companies. Um, it, yeah. <laughs> And you see a lot of it is uh, a lot of it is on, on CT data because CT data is it's really fast. It's uh, very consistent. Um, it's you know cheap and ubiquitous. It's kind of everywhere. And there's some really good data sets available for training data. Um, mm-hmm. You know, MR data suffers from some challenges, which is that, you know, it's not standardized. Uh, you have a lot of data variants. It can take a long time. You're, you're not collecting the same sequences or contrasts every time. And a lot of AI tools that we find are, uh, somewhat limited to like specific research sites and that they are difficult yeah. to get to scale across uh, multiple centers and really to become ubiquitous. And and that's really something that we're, we're trying to solve. It's sort of more of a future vision, I think, of, of where we're going. Um, we need to get out there and get kind of the base platform adopted first. But, um, you know, the, with Stage, you, we, we really solve those key challenges of, you know, providing, you know, rapid, uh, consistent, standardized data with that quantitative information that we're going to be able to do repeatable AI on top of this data um, at scale. 
And that's where things start to become really fun. Um, and so you can start to dream of some very uh, exciting applications in the future. Um, you know, as we look at it, it's, you know, we, we do have a number of uh, tools in our own pipeline that we're developing, but we're never going to win, you know, the algorithm race. I don't know if anybody necessarily will. There's just a lot of really great applications out there. You know, we'd rather be like the Intel inside, you know, be the data that you can kind of deploy on top of. So Stage is a package. It's a, a sequence and the um, quantitative analytical stuff as well. And the AI, it's all the package. Yeah, well, the, that's, there's sort of a, a different components of it. So it, it does start, we have this, the Stage sequence uh, that we run. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, we do two different gradient echo scans. Uh, uh, those are collected at about in about five minutes total um, on 3T. Uh, and then from there, we would take that data and send it to our, our processing hub, which would then kind of create that multi-contrast imaging, creating those, uh, you know, 14 different pieces of information that would then go back into the Paxos, your standard contrast images that you would look at. Mm -hmm. And then from there, we have the different tools that we can run on top of that. So with the kind of first version of stage that we're rolling out, the real value is one that it's, it's very fast. You know, if we look at, you know, on a like 3T system, we're probably looking at a, you know, total brain protocol of about nine minutes or so. And okay. then it's, yeah, and you know, that can, there's some flexibility and some variance in that depending on what you want to run. And we do some things a little bit higher resolution that might take a little more time, but that's sort of up to you. So just the, at the base level, you can spend less time in acquisition. You can, you know, see more patients and then get better data on the other side that enhance contrast, uh, kind of more easily interpreted. And then it, the kind of more advanced tools that we run on top are really what provides that automatic detection and quantification of various things. Right. Okay. Um, so for example, like the bleed, the bleed detection tool, um, their tool that I'm maybe most excited about is, uh, one we've been working on in Parkinson's looking at, oh, wow. yeah, uh, we're doing actually a very large study right now. We have, we've had probably almost 60 sites uh, that are research uh, partners with us right wow. now globally. Um, about 20 or so of those are in China and we've mm. been getting a tremendous amount of data from those sites. Uh, they're very advanced in the, um, AI world, aren't they? Yeah. Um, and just, I, it's been very efficient. We just get a, a tremendous number of cases, um, and they're been very good <laughs> research partners. Um, so we, you know, we've been able to, you know, collect a really large uh, cohort of both Parkinson's and healthy controls. And they're, you know, looking at quantifying, uh, like the nigrosome one sign and quantifying neuromelanin in substantia mm. uh, nigra, which now we've, with the number of cases that we've been able to do, um, have a nice age adjusted normative database that we're able to scan someone and then kind of plot them along this curve. And you can kind of see where they are in terms of potential disease progression. And also then using that data to better kind of differentiate Parkinson's from other movement disorders, which again, can kind of help inform better treatment decisions, uh, depending on what kind of ther you know, therapy you may apply. Yeah. So the, the stage sequence that that, that is compatible with existing scanner hardware It's obviously yeah. possible to yeah. be using different manufacturers and it's, it's, it's possible to integrate uh, your package with, with what they're using already. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, we have run on, you know, all the major manufacturers and then a number of kind of smaller and international manufacturers. Um, we've run, you know, across all field strengths. We've run from, you know, 0.35 T all the way up to, to seven Tesla with good results. The seven Tesla scans look really phenomenal. Um, yeah. <laughs> as you might imagine, but, uh, did you get any uh, any unwanted attention from scanner manufacturers when you were going around wanting to uh, try out your software on their products? Well, this is sort of the the beautiful thing of it. With most manufacturers, we don't really need anything 
uh, from the manufacturer. We're using standard clinical sequences and just editing kind of some of the parameters. Um, yeah. Most Same of the, uh, I mean, there's some <laughs> more advanced things where we, well, yeah, well, well, now we are, I mean, they're aware. We're talking with them. We're talking about major manufacturers. Um, because we'd love to be, you know, native on a lot of these systems. Um, yeah. But yeah. you know, because because we work, you know, equally well across platforms, we don't want to be tied to a single manufacturer. Um, and yeah. I think that's a lot of the value is that there's very few practices that are, you know, just Siemens or just GE or just Philips. Um, everybody is sort of a mixed bag of, of equipment, and so that's something that's really important for us. And you know, it, it is something that as we've been going, it's. Uh, you know, you learn little quirks and, and differences in the in the different manufacturers and machines, and you may have to set things up, you know, a little bit yeah. differently. But uh, so far, been been pretty successful across the board. And then, you know, if we do have good relationships, you know, we've been working with Siemens for you know, or Dr. AES for decades. You know, we can do some really advanced things through sort of more of a, you know, kind of the research keys and being able to really design our own sequences from the ground up. Aside from the health side of things you are a startup so you're obviously looking to grow and become um, commercially successful so how is the commercialization effort going um so right now i mean because we're, we're really we're pre-fda with stage so we're still on only on one side of the ledger um, although we do have some kind of earlier opportunities that we have going but really we're not going out and pursuing you know, real clinical sales yet uh, the big thing that we're doing right now is getting those early adopter sites lined up so getting the word out, getting people using it, getting them to put their hands on it and, and kind of evaluate the product so that when, you know, we hopefully get that clearance yeah. in a couple of months here that, uh, that we're ready to go and ready to sell. But the feedback on it has been really phenomenal at this point. I don't think we've had a single person that we've demoed it to that hasn't wanted to use it. And then even more so on the, uh, the reporting side of things, uh, you know, we've got people who are like, I, I, I want the, I need this bleed report now. I don't care if it's yeah. approved, you know, I want to, I want to start <laughs> using this thing. So that's been really encouraging. And it's just, I think also you see a, a change in the, in the market in general, in terms of getting kind of more acceptance of these advanced tools and, and getting more interest mm. in that. So that it's a little bit easier of an adoption curve than it than may have been, say, you know, 10 years ago. Yeah. You know, actually, I remember really clearly, I think it was maybe three years ago that uh, at ASNR, we had some you know, radiologist one after the other coming up and they'd look at it and be like, oh, so AI, are you, are you coming to take my job? Like, yeah. No, not at all. <laughs> no, you're. I mean, we're really here to kind of make your job, uh, you know, easier and and, and empower you more than anything. Mm. Um, and as you know, I mean, radiologists are swamped. I don't think being able to get to your results faster is going to necessarily uh, jeopardize your job security. No, yeah, the conversation has definitely moved on a lot since then. Yeah, I, I think there was. I, I it was one of your previous podcasts, and I forget who it was with. It was. Somebody made the comment that you know the the only uh, radiologists that are afraid of AI are the ones that kind of don't understand it. Um, yeah, something along those lines. The less you know about AI, the higher the level of fear is. I think they've done yeah. some research and training, so yeah. Yeah, but yeah, over overall, it's been uh, the response to it's been really great. Mm -hmm. I suppose in um, in America, where there's kind of a, a paper scan system increasing throughput of a scanner, increasing radiologist productivity is of financial interest to imaging centers and hospitals anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Especially, I mean, you look at data quality and, and speed, it's always been a trade-off. You can get one or the other, um, mm -hmm. you know, and so you, you have this growing population of people with these you know, neurological disorders driving more demand for diagnostic imaging. But on the other side, you have a radiology industry, at least in the U.S., that's under 
has seen a lot of disruption and is under a lot of pressure from you know decreased reimbursements and rising costs mm -hmm. and just this need to see more patients as quickly as possible. It really took a what was a, a cash cow business and turned it into something that is really kind of throughput oriented right now. Um, so looking, you, looking at looking at what you guys are, we still consider it to be a cash cow business here. <laughs> yeah, uh, but there's yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of pressure, and especially if you look at something like you know independent imaging center, where that's you know you don't have other service lines to kind of uh, maybe pad the books in some way. You, you have to be making money. Um, pad the yeah. books is probably a bad, bad term, but um, <laughs> but you know you've got to be making money on on uh, you know on your scanning, and you've got to be running patients through quickly, uh, and then also you know remain competitive in your market. You know it's very competitive for patient referrals and you need to not only be able to operate as efficiently as possible, but also offer, you know, the highest standard of care that you can. And, and you want to show that you're using the, the newest technologies and have uh, some cool toys. And that's kind of what we're providing both of. So I think, you know, the ability to reduce your scan time and improve your throughput is going to improve your revenue and your reimbursement. And then mm -hmm. the kind of the improved, you know, analytics and tools on top of that you know, it's really what helps you kind of maintain uh, that competitive edge from a referral standpoint and offering that high standard of care. So once you've got FDA approval, will you be looking at uh, spreading out around the world? Oh, yeah, ab absolutely. Actually, just the other day, we were having a little webinar workshop, which was between Europe, the US and China all, all at once. It was a little bit of a time zone juggle. But, uh, <laughs> you know, we've got an, uh, a handful of sites in Europe right now um, and some really good partners there. And we're, we're definitely... We'll be looking at uh, moving it through the CEMR yeah. process and getting uh, registered in Europe and in China as well, where we have a, another really strong presence. We're looking at those three areas. I think Europe is, um, well, the UK is definitely behind America and China in terms of adoption of advanced imaging techniques. We're still using Windows 95 for, for a lot of <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, yeah, I think there's, uh, you know, and that's also another thing in Europe too, is just still interoperability challenges between different markets, even though there's sort of, you know, the larger Euro zone, you know, and I think everybody's sort of at a different state of what their market's uh, imaging infrastructure is like. Um, yeah. It's just like it is in the US in some ways, is that when you're bringing anything new to market, it's not going to be necessarily like appealing to everybody all at once. Uh, and you still yeah. are looking for those really kind of leaders in their field and, and sort of more innovative practices or larger research centers that may be earlier adopters of technology. And, you know, as a small company, it doesn't take very many sites for us to, uh, to be impactful for us. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I could see that it's, it's sort of the same adoption curve there. But that's why we are starting with the, the U.S. is uh, that um, we've got you know, good relationships and, and a number of really good clinical sites that we're working with. Um, you know, in China, we've been, Dr. Hickey's been working there for years and years and is uh, developed a really good network and say visibility and kind of reputation there. Um, and, you know, more and more, we, though we still have a lot of uh, interest in Europe and hopefully uh, when we can switch our focus there, we can just continue to increase that. Uh, so you've touched on it already during this episode, but broadly speaking, where do you see the future of MRI heading? I'd say really, um, you know, at least in our vision of where we would really want to push is, kind of moving towards that day where you have the one protocol to rule them all, where you can collect all the data that you're looking for very rapidly every single time. It doesn't cost you anything extra to get that information. And you have all of that information. And then from there, where does that go? Is that, is that one, now I can start, you know, putting the little flag up if you find something abnormal where it might not be something you're looking at. You may have somebody who came in for 
a car accident and this person may have a risk for dementia or Parkinson's or something like that, that, you know, maybe if we get ahead of it can improve the outcomes of that. Patient. Incidental funding. Yeah. Well, there's like a great story of uh, here in the U.S. of uh, a basketball player who gets traded to a new team, you know, someone who'd be, you know, this height of fitness and, uh, and health having to go through just their routine physical and finding, uh, you know, a mass on their kidney. Um, you know, there's stuff that you would not be looking for day to day that you really would want to know. Yeah. And that's mm -hmm. the kind of where I see is more of like beyond kind of what we're going to be able to know just from the imaging data is then kind of starting to apply that to more sort of predictive or proactive health. You're really being able to tie MR data in with other health data. You know, maybe it's, you know, cognitive assessments plus your kind of normal clinical workup, you know, movement, all, you know, all sorts of uh, different factors to start to look for potential relationships and, and kind of indicators of what may be to come. So we're actually uh, starting to work on a few of those little projects here. Uh, can't really quite talk about some of those things yet, but we're, we're pretty excited about where some of that stuff can go. No red class exclusives. No? Yeah, for, <laughs> maybe, maybe, ne maybe next time, you know, we'll <laughs> have to have you back and we'll see where we are. I suppose it's, you do raise a very valid point there that, you know, you get your car serviced every few thousand miles or every year, but your with, your, with your body, you just, you wait for something to go wrong and yeah. then you look into yeah. it to try to stay on top of things and, and optimize things as you yeah. go along. That said, I still have been driving around with my check engine light on for a little bit. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, that's, that is kind of where you'd be going. Like the human body check engine light. Uh, yeah. Do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> okay, um, so thanks a lot for speaking to us, Ward. Um, you've given us a tantalising glimpse there into the future of MRI, and it does sound like there's an awful lot on the horizon to be excited about. So best of luck with SpinTech going forward, and I look forward to the day in the near future when we're using stage sequence here in Liverpool. Great. Well, thank you guys so much for having me. Real pleasure. So thanks for listening, guys. We'll be back next month with another episode. And in the meantime, you can catch all of our previous episodes on all the major podcast platforms and at anchor.fm forward slash Radcast. And for more updates, you can check out our social media channels. So that's uh, at Radcast Academy on Twitter and on Instagram. Bye. Goodbye.